Well, dear congregation, I would ask you now to please turn your very prayerful attention to that first reading that I read to you in your hearing there in the prophecy of Zechariah and the chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9, these words spoken well over 400 years before the coming of the Savior into the world and foretelling of the work of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is very God, God is one, God who said, let us make man in our image. And we read, God made man in his image. God who is one, yet in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son eternally proceeding from the Father, and the Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from Father and Son. We worship and we bow before him, and we hear his word. God had promised long ago, even at the fall when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, there was that announcement that God would send Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, into this world to suffer and to die. And he did. He came into the world. And we have tremendous prophecy. We read also, didn't we, there from Matthew and the 21st chapter, And that prophecy fulfilled. He that came into Jerusalem, just as was predicted, and what he would do. This evening, with the Lord's help, I wish for us to focus upon verse 11 of Isaiah, uh, sorry, Zechariah chapter 9. But then also some of the verses that proceed later on. And here, in verse 11, we have the Father, as it were, speaking to the Son. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I've sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit, wherein is no water. This is a tremendous verse, my friends. Speaking of the very work of the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps very mysterious to you right now, but I hope with God's help and with the enlightenment of his word, and by his Spirit, that we will have a wonderful understanding of what the Scriptures are teaching here. The Father, speaking to the Son, says, As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit, wherein is no water. And then you come down again, if you notice, verse 12, turn you to the stronghold Ye prisoners of hope. This is our theme this evening. The blood of the covenant, prisoners of hope, released out of the pit, wherein is no water. This theme is seen in this remainder of this chapter, which we wish to consider this evening. Here these words are given, as I said, hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ would come into the world. The prophecy here of Zechariah, who lived in the day of the Jewish return from exile. The people were in Babylon, 70 years captivity, but now under Zerubbabel, there is again another return. Three times there was a return, but now the Lord is going to build his church. The church has always been in the Old Testament. It existed Right there in Genesis chapter 4, when men, we are told, began to call upon the name of the Lord. 
The church existed. There were the faithful. The blood of the covenant was even announced right there, we could say, in the Garden of Eden, when, as it were, Adam and Eve were made those coat skins to cover their nakedness. And there would be an animal that was slain, covering their nakedness and shame. And then we know that Cain and Abel were instructed how they were to reproach God. An animal had to be given. A sacrifice had to be given. The firstlings of the flock. And of course, Cain, a sinner, an unbeliever, rejected this way. He brought of the produce of the ground. He said, in effect, to God, these are my works. I'll be accepted by my works. But Abel, his brother, he did just as God had said. He presented the firstlings of the flock. He gave a lamb without blemish, and God was pleased. Right there, it was explained to Adam and Eve and their sons, the only acceptable manner which sinners, and they all, from Adam and Eve, like you and I, we are great sinners. The only way we can approach a holy God is through the death of an innocent party. And my friends, there has only ever been one innocent person that has come into this world, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Those animals, of course, never had a soul. They were, uh, as it were, soulless creatures. But they were nonetheless victims, as it were, of sacrifice, all pointing to Jesus Christ, so that when John saw him, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. This was the only way that God could ever save sinners. And here it is pronounced in this verse 11 concerning Jesus Christ that he would deliver prisoners by the blood of his covenant. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I've sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. And again, look at verse 12, prisoners of hope. And then we're going to consider what it is they are set free to. We're going to think, I didn't read the rest of that portion of the wineskins and the wine, what they are set free from. There are two things we could say that the Christian is set free from, from a guilty record. And he is set free to serve God with a new heart and new desires. He is set free in this way. And Jesus Christ, my friend, gives that in salvation. He gives a completely clean record. He is their record of righteousness, as it were, before our holy God. He takes the sin of his people away. And he gives to them, he transfers to them his spotless record. But he also gives a new heart. It's all part of the covenant. Jeremiah 31 I will put my laws in their heart to do my will, says God. And God does it. But here we can be sure, I want to show you from the New Testament, that these words that we read here in Zechariah 9 have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the announcement of the Savior who would come into the world and who did come into the world after his three years of ministry how he would come riding into Jerusalem at the end of his life of ministry. For 30 years, he lived in relative obscurity. 
Nobody really understood who he was. But there when he went down into the Jordan and was baptized, filled with the Spirit of God, he began to preach, repent ye and believe the gospel. And then he began to do many mighty miracles. He was hidden for a while. Isaiah says of him, he was that polished shaft, that he would come out just at the right time and that he would accomplish the work of salvation on behalf of his people. Now you notice in verse 9, you turn to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. And there we have it, Matthew 21. It is recorded for us, this fulfillment of the prophecy, we read it there. Notice Let me read from verse 1 again. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage and unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied. It was there. He knew it would be there. It was prophesied it would be there. God determined it would be there. What should they find an ass tied? and a colt with her, exactly as it was. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done, notice that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye, daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass. You see, God determines, first of all, my friends, everything in history. The God of providence has determined every single event. Every animal, every creature is raised by God and these two raised for the purposes here. And we notice and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the ass and the colt, two animals there, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, uh, uh, of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple, and so on. And he cast out those that sold and bought in the temple. Well, he has come into Jerusalem. Just as it was written there in Zechariah, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Fulfilled, my friends. 
by God, the Son. He said these two would be there. And so he comes into Jerusalem. And, of course, he will bring salvation. How will he bring salvation? By the blood that he would shed for sinners. By that precious blood. Not the blood of a lamb, for the blood of lambs could not take away sin. But his soul, you see, would be made an offering for sin. He would pour out his life even unto death. His blood would be shed. And it is by that blood, as we read there in Zechariah 9.11, by the blood of thy covenant, the Father speaking to the Son, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit, wherein is no water. I want to speak this evening on this theme, the prisoners of hope. That's who Christians are. We read it there in the verse 12. Thy prisoners of hope. And they're in the prison house. We want to think about that prison house tonight. Those of you who are unsaved, let me say, you're in a prison house. You say, well, I'm here in the church. Well, you're in prison, my friend. You're in the prison of sin. And uh, for two reasons. You have a bad record. You have a bad heart. Then we want to think of the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ that sets his people free. Many men will not be freed. They hate this gospel. They despise it. They're unbelievers. And they will go to a lost eternity. They will remain in that prison forever with no hope. And they will go to a worse prison. To an everlasting damnation. And that will be terrible. And then the setting free, we want to think, of the prisoners by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It's not just by the blood, but it's the Spirit of God that makes you to really see and love and appreciate this blood of Jesus Christ. Not only is he precious, but the blood of Jesus Christ is precious to us who believe. It is the blood of God the Son. We're told in Acts 20, verse 28, the church of Jesus Christ, which he purchased with his own blood. We want to think about these things here tonight. First of all, the prisoners and the prison house. Notice there in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 11, As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water or no satisfaction, no satiation, no rest. In fact, this whole chapter here, verse 7, and so on, we, we see the guilt of the people, not only in these days, and how they were in bondage, and how they had sinned, and how God had brought them into captivity, and brought them out again, and yet they still, as it were, in the chains of sin, and in the chains of this world. And that's, a, that's us all by nature. We're in the chains of sin. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave of sin. Did he not say that? He did say that. But here it is announced, as for thee also by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners. The Father has determined that through the shed blood of his Son, 
that his prisoners, now you notice, thy prisoners, the Lord Jesus has a people. They are his. And they are hopelessly in this prison and they can't get out. There's no possible way. There's no remedy. Uh, nothing man can do can get them out of this. And this is the case of all men. They're in this prison. Now in what way are we in prison? First of all, if we know our Old Testament, that if a man fell into debt, there were no prisons really when they went through the wilderness, but you would serve as a slave. We have it in Exodus, if you wish to turn with me there. It's a much kinder way of dealing with those who couldn't pay off their debts or they stole. I think uh, those in the activity and the business of stealing today would perhaps not be doing so much if things were practiced in the biblical way. Uh, certainly an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what about stealing? If somebody had a mass debt, they were irresponsible, they had to pay for their debt. And sometimes even double was the punishment. Exodus 22, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox. Oh, my friend, you wouldn't want to be a thief, would you, in the Old Testament? Foolish business to be a thief. You'd have to pay back five times as much. This is uh, not a good thing. And four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall be no blood shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him. So if he, if he has done this intently at night, well, it's not as bad. But if he goes in the broad daylight, blood will be shed for him. Serious, isn't it? You, you're so brazen to do this. Well, notice, for he should make full restitution. If he hath nothing, notice, then he shall be sold for his theft. So biblical slavery, it's a good thing, isn't it? If you stole something and you couldn't afford to pay it, you don't get off. You've got to pay for it. And God is teaching us something here, my friends, about sin. And you think about it, we're all sinners. We're all, we've all stolen from God. You say, what, what do you mean I've stolen from God? You are his creature, as I am. And ever since we were born, we owe God a debt of love. That's the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you see, none of us have done that. We've lived, as it were, as little gods in this world. And we say, I don't owe God anything. You owe God your life, your strength, everything comes from God, your children. Your family, your parents, everything is from God. You are meant to live for the glory of God. He's given you the heavens and the earth to enjoy. But where has been thanks, my friends? You and I have a great debt of love that we've never paid to God. We read in Romans 13, Owe no man anything except to love. But how much do we owe to God? 
as sinners. We have sinned, my friends, not just once, but every single minute, every day of our lives. We have not lived to the glory of God, have we? What great debtors we are. But when he came into the world, he could say, I always do those things that please my Father. He who is the, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, we told only went about doing good. How different to us. All we've done is sin. Even we came from my mother's womb, speaking lies. We've even said we were good people. That's a great lie, isn't it? We've covered our sin. And the scriptures say, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But oh, how we've covered our sin because of our pride. And pride is a terrible sin, isn't it? A terrible sin that we're all guilty of. And my friend, we're all guilty. All mouths are silenced under God's law. There are none that are righteous. No, not one. And you see, we're in the prison of debt, first of all. And you can never get out of it. Because as long as you live, you can never pay for the wrongs that you've done. The soul that never even hears about the Lord Jesus will go to a lost eternity. That's solemn, isn't it? Because all men are concluded guilty under the law without even hearing the gospel. There's a great debt there, isn't there? So you think of this debt, and again, lest we criticize the Bible, this is a good thing. God is teaching here responsibility to man. Today, it's sad even a man may kill somebody else. He may not even serve half his life sentence. Leviticus 25, 39, And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel to serve him as a bondservant, but as an hired servant, and as a sojourner. So if, even if a man wants to serve afterward, he can serve, but he must remember that he's still a servant. And that's what we are. We are never greater than God our Master. Never. And so that seemed very fair. So we are prisoners, first of all, in debt to God. But friends, we are also prisoners chained to a bad nature, a wretched nature. It's as if we, we, we cannot get out of this nature. We cannot get out of who we are in Adam. A man can't get himself outside of Adam. He is born in Adam and he, he remains in Adam until God sets him free. He remains with Adam's nature and Adam's likeness. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And literally it says there in the margin, born from above. It's the work of the Spirit. The man is set free by the Spirit of God. But he is also set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. By that tremendous payment that he made for his people. Taking all of their sins to himself and bearing the full consequences 
of those sins. But he sets them free. And this is the tremendous thing. On the second aspect, prisoners in the dungeon of one's own sinful depravity. We speak of the doctrine of total depravity. You know, man can try to reform himself. He can go to this clinic, that clinic, but that will not reform the heart. That cannot change the heart. The heart has to be changed by God. And one of the things, that one of the proofs that a man has is, got this depraved heart is he is, first of all, he is so blind to his own sin. People don't really see sin for what it is. Because they've never really seen God for who he is. They have an imagined view of God. Such a low view of God. And if you've got such a low view of God, you've got such a low view of your sin. Do you not think God can see right through you? And into your heart? Do you not know that he knows the thoughts and the imaginations of your heart? Do you not know there in Psalm 139 that he knows your thoughts even before you think them? He knows what you're going to think. He knows all things from beginning to end. He knows everything. And we have this nature that is in the prison house of sin. In John 8, 34, the Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Here we're speaking about setting prisoners free. Not only because of a bad record, but because of a bad heart. He sets the prisoner free to live a new life. A life abundant. It's a glorious life. You see, they don't get set free to serve themselves. That's not a Christian. If that's your notion of what a Christian is, you, you're greatly mistaken. He has now become the master. He saves his people from a guilty record and a bad heart. In Luke, you may wish to turn there, chapter 4, verse 17, the Lord Jesus is there in the temple as he began his ministry and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. Luke 4, verse 17. And we read, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me, this is Christ speaking, to preach the gospel to the poor, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach what? Deliverance to the captives, or emancipation, setting them free, and recovering of the sight to the blind. You see, they're blind, spiritually blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. They're bruised in their sin, and they have a troubled conscience. Are you one who has a troubled conscience here tonight? You're bruised. Well, my Bible says he does not break the bruised reed. 
but he does allow a man to be bruised. You must be bruised before you may be healed of the Lord. Your conscience must be awakened to the fact that you have lived against God, that you have lived in a terrible dark dungeon of sin and not acknowledged the God of heaven as you, you walk out the door. God is screaming at you that he is God. Look at all the created order. Look at everything that he has made. And yet you've lived without him. Well, you're not bruised. You're not troubled in your spirit. You're not anxious for your soul. That you stand before an infinitely holy God. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 12, you'll see something very important. The Lord Jesus, he is preaching to the Jews and many have rejected him. And uh, there's a man before this, he, he comes to the Lord Jesus and he's arguing about uh, the inheritance. His brother seems to have taken the inheritance and the Lord Jesus says, look, there's far more important things for you to consider. Far more important He begins. Notice with me in verse 53. I read from verse 52. From henceforth there shall be five in one house divided. Here is speaking about those who believe and those who don't believe. And how the houses will be divided because some are united to Christ and some are not. Three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he said also to the people, when you shall see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there cometh a shower. And so it is. He says, you see a cloud in the sky, and you, you can tell rain's coming. He's using simple analogy here, notice. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, there will be heat. We know that even here in England. We'll get a south wind blowing from the Sahara, we say it's going to be warm weather. We see that, we, we understand that, because it's warm in the south. It doesn't take a, a genius to figure these things out. But notice... It begins with some scathing words to sinners. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and the earth. But how is it that ye do not discern this time? What time is it? The Messiah has come into the world. He has done mighty miracles. You should know the time. You should know the season. Yea, Notice verse 57, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? Now notice, when thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. Now notice the application, I tell thee, that thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. 
And here's the sense. We're in debt to God. Every one of us. And what is the cost? There's no escape. It's prison forever. In hell. It's a lost eternity. You can't pay, you see, for your past. That's the lesson. Can you pay for your past? You can't pay. There's no hope. That's why we read that the lost go into everlasting torments forever and forever. He's not saying you will be able to pay it off. You can't. Could you earn a righteousness that Adam never earned? That no man earned? You see, to go to heaven, it's not only about your sin, my friend. Don't be so fooled. You need a positive righteousness that no man has ever earned. All you have done and all I have ever done is sin against God. And the Lord is saying here, there is no hope. This man is concerned, you read the earlier part of the chapter, with this inheritance of his brother. He's arguing, my brother's taken it. The Lord Jesus said, look, who made me to be an arbiter? He was here for far more important things. He's saying to this man, don't you understand that you have a debt? That only God can meet. He says, you hypocrites, you should know the time. By the things that I've done. But here's the thing. The sheep will know the time. Because their eyes will be opened to see. We read that in Luke 4. To give sight to the blind. And it is eureka, as it were, when God gives us sight and we see for the very first time that there is only one that was ever good enough to pay for sin and to let us in. And that is Jesus Christ. The goats will never see. And here's another thing. Jesus never died for the goats. And he never died in vain. But he died to secure Notice the text. By the blood of thy covenant, I have set thy prisoners free. Every one of them that trusts in Jesus Christ. Look at Zacchaeus. Swindle everybody. He gets down from that tree. And the Lord goes with him to his home. He says, tell you what, everything that I've ever taken it here... I'll give it back and more. There's a man whose eyes have been opened. See that he has not loved God and he's not loved fellow men as he ought. There's a changed man. There's a man whose sins have been forgiven. The Lord Jesus said, Salvation, Zacchaeus has come to thy house. And that day, Zacchaeus was set free of all of his debts to God. 
because Jesus would die for his sin. And he would give him a new heart to love God and to love fellow men. This is the mercy of God. The Lord says, as for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I've sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit. What an awful pit it is, sin. But there's a worse pit, my friends. It's the pit of hell. We go from this life, from the pit of sin and the, from the pit of self and misery to a worse pit where there is Satan and fiends and the worst enemies that we could ever imagine and a place where there is no get out, no hope for the lost soul. But my friend, what a wonderful thing to really believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it is by this blood, you see. And every believer, just as the people there in the Old Testament, as they were to be taken out of Egypt and brought into the promised land, oh, they had to put the blood over the, the doorposts and the lintels. And the Christian says this, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all my sin. I'm set free from the guilt of the law from the condemning power of the law by Jesus Christ. And you know that shed blood? We don't just say, oh, that shed blood is precious to us. And every time we sin, we think, oh, what my sin costs my Savior. How can I sin anymore? I don't want to grieve him. And I want to live for him. And you see, let me say, look at the pit. It says there, there is no water. In this life of sin, people drink sin like water. But they drink more and more and more and more. And people attain things and attain things, but nothing can satisfy the soul, my friend. Solomon had to learn. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit a man after all his labors under the sun? He said that the eye, well, the eye is an evil thing, isn't it? And the ear is never filled. It, it's never satisfied in seeing. It'll want to see more and more and more and more. That's the pit we're in. We're born in that pit. Until our eyes behold the Lord Jesus. He gives life eternal, my friend. The Lord Jesus, when he prayed in that place with his disciples, as he was praying to the Father, he said, And this is life eternal, Father, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. My friend, that is life. To know the Lord Jesus, he set you free from this world, so that this world does not have a hold on you, a grip on you anymore. But what excites you is God. And you have been awakened to self and to this world. You see what it is. You see it is a, it, it is a place 
where man is not satisfied and yet he, he gropes more and more in this world for things and stuff. And yet he denies the very God who made him. It's a terrible state, isn't it? It's a desperate state, this world. Think of that woman who went to the well, Jacob's well, and she had had five husbands. And the man that she had now was not even her husband. And the Lord Jesus said to her, he's not even your husband. She went from man to man. And people go from people to people. And from this thing to that thing. And then the Lord Jesus Christ opened up to her that he is the water of life. He said, if you'd have asked for this water, you'd never thirst again. Well, he gave her that water. And she said, come see a man that told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Think of the woman that was caught in adultery. He said to her, well, what did he do? The Lord Jesus could set her free because he would die for her sin. And he said, go and sin no more now. He would take her guilt away. And he would give her a new heart. And this is what the Lord does, my friend, in salvation. I want to turn you as we continue on the blood of the covenant. Look there, the blood of thy covenant. Zechariah 9 verse 11. God, you see, had covenanted. Here's the, here's the wonderful thing. This is not some haphazard thing that is happening. Jesus Christ coming to the world was not plan B, if you like. But this has been plan A from the beginning. Even before the world began, God promised to give eternal life in his Son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came together and covenanted that the Son would give himself for poor sinners who could never get themselves out of this helpless state to show his love and his mercy and his grace. How else could God show his love? The scriptures say, Greater love hath no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. That is exactly what the Lord Jesus did. But also, you see, at the cross, you see God's justice, my friend. That's what you see. You see God's love there. The sinless Son of God dying for unworthy sinners. But you also see God's justice. God could not spare his Son because he's a just God. He had to punish him because he was bearing the sin of sinners to set them free. God had covenanted this from all eternity past. And the covenant, we see it there in Psalm 2, we see it told to Father Abraham, and it's prophesied in Isaiah. It's, it's all over the Old Testament, my friend. And so then when the Lord Jesus Christ sat down his disciples and instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. You see, the old covenant was that blood of the Lamb. The sacrifice of animals that could not take away sin. He never could. It was always pointing to this covenant. But even in that covenant, may say this, God would never give a new heart. 
All those that were ever saved in the Old Testament were born again. But God promised that he, he would give this to not only Jew, but Gentiles in this world. Jeremiah 31, that he would write his laws upon their hearts. By the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. This is the redeeming efficacy of the work of Jesus Christ. But then the setting free of prisoners by the blood and the Spirit. You see, the guilt, the record has been met, has been paid. We read there in Colossians that he, as he was dying, he nailed, as it were, to the cross the handwriting of the law that was against his people. He, the just, dying for the unjust, that he would bring them to God. So setting them free by the blood, but also by the Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ. When the believer believes, he sees how wonderful Christ is. And that person is now free to serve in newness of life. That's a wonderful thing. Paul says in Romans 6.18, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Now, I want to ask you, are you a servant of righteousness? Some of these says, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Well, the Lord Jesus said, you will know his people by their fruit. It's something we're going to examine. If we say we're free, do we find a wonderful, expulsive power of God's Spirit in our hearts now where we say, sin, I don't want it. I find it there sometimes in my heart, and when I do, I am so grieved. I don't want it, though. I want to live after my Savior, and I want to serve him in newness of life. You see, that's coming out of the pit of this world, and that ensures you you're not going to the pit of hell. Because if he died for you, he lives in you. Paul says, if we, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, we shall live, live with Christ forever. It's a wonderful thing. And let me say this. Here's the wonderful thing. When a person is saved, the Lord will never let that person go. Oh, they may wonder. But he always brings the sheep back. We sang, the Lord my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He restores my soul. Not only to life, but every time I sin, he chastens me, he brings me back. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. The rod, the staff, brings the sheep back. And when we hear him speaking in his word and he's pulling us back, we don't push back like a goat. We're drawn in by the Savior. And we love him. And we serve him in newness of life. Well, there's so much more we could look at just briefly. If you notice, verse 12, Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. If you have hope, not in yourself, who do you turn to? The one who is the stronghold, Jesus Christ. He is a strong tower. 
He is the strength of the believer. He is called the strength of Israel, who will not fail. He cannot fail. He never failed on the cross. He never fails the sinner who truly comes in all sincerity to him and says, Look, I'm a prisoner. I can't get out. But only you can help me. Get me out of this mess. You've quickened me. You've awakened me to my sin and the wrath to come. Oh, Lord, help me. Save me. And I shall be saved. Turn me. And I shall be turned. Look at verse 17. How great is his goodness. And how great is his beauty. Isn't God good? And isn't God beautiful? Would a king ever give himself for his people? Would a God of heaven ever give himself for his creatures? Yes. God the Son did. Notice, corn shall make the young men cheerful. And new wine, the maids. These are mysterious words, perhaps, to you. Corn. Remember how the Lord Jesus spoke of that corn that would die in the ground. John 12. And he is that grain of corn. He says there in John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. My friends, he is that sweet and that pure corn. And he is what? He is called the firstfruits. He died. For what? For his people. He died that they may live. He is that corn. But also, you remember his first miracle, the miracle at Cana, where he turned water into wine. And, and it's not really about alcohol. It's not about drink. But wine speaks of joy, doesn't it? It speaks of marriage. It was at a wedding that he, he performed that first miracle. And it was the best of wine, my friends. The, the lesson is this. He is that sweet one. We read in Song of Solomon, he brought me into his banqueting house. And over me, his banner was love. And what love is that? We know, we read, the, didn't we, there from John 21. If you get to the end there, the Pharisees come and they say, well, hold on a minute. Why are your disciples always around you? Why are they so delighted? Look at verse 5. I'll take you first of all, Matthew 9. Verse, from verse 9, Jesus passed from, forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew. Now think of it. Matthew was a tax collector. He's sitting in the receipt of custom. And he was in this business of getting more money out of people than he should have. And he, he left this business behind. He was formerly called Levi, the tax collector. And then he has changed, isn't he? And then you notice how the Pharisees look at the window and they see the Lord Jesus with all these disciples. And uh, verse 11, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? 
But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what it meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Friends, these people have been saved by the mercy of God. And then you come down to this. Look at verse 14. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but my disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom, that is Christ, shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. Now notice, no man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in filleth it up, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles. You see, this new wine speaks of new joy. It speaks of a new life. You don't put it in an old bottle. The bottle speaks here of the soul that has been renewed. The unbeliever can't live the Christian life. The demands of Christ will stretch it and the, 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 this man can't live this. He can't do the things of Christ because he is not changed. The new wine speaks of a new life. The new bottle speaks of a new heart, my friend. And he's saying, you don't put Christ, you can't put Christ in an old heart. This is what I said, when you were born again, and you're saved, not only is your record dealt with, and you know your record is dealt with, in fact, it was dealt with at Calvary, when Christ died for the sinner. And when he realizes this, he's born of the Spirit, and he has a new heart. And he loves to be with the Lord. Look, he is the bridegroom. And who are all his people? His church, his bride. What do they want? They want to be with him. And you see, if you're changed, you want to be with the Lord and his people. Now I ask you that question. Is that your spirit tonight? John says, we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. It's a good question. Do you love Christians? Who are your friends? Are they prisoners of this world? Or are they people that have been set free? You see, that will tell you whether you're saved, my friend. Where's your, where's your mind right now? Are you thinking about the television program that you're going to watch? You're thinking about what I'm saying. You're thinking about eternity. You're thinking about that program. You're a prisoner of this world. You're thinking about things of this week. You're a prisoner of this world. Why aren't you thinking about eternal life? You're blind. May God give you sight in mercy to see your sin and see only Christ can set you free. If he will. It's God's prerogative. And the good news is he will set his people free. He'll bring them to a sight of themselves. And he'll set them free. Amen.